I had the drums turned on on the backing track. That's, I was like. This guy, this guy. So. I got a sign of that for Christmas for my house, and it has, you are chosen, not forsaken, I am who you say I am. Oh, nice. That's cool. It won't blow away. Oh, that's very cool. The more, yeah, so I'm, I'm now, uh, songs are, like, simplicity and who you say I am, both of them can, can, you could start off with them saying that, you know, these could be thoughts or, or the praises of the wise men when they were there to see the child the first, yeah. it, it's in here, it doesn't come out here articulately, yeah. Yeah. thank goodness that guy does all the articulating and I just... <laughs> They're in there. They're in there. It's just, these are all the words I think of. They're like this. Yeah. They don't line up in coherent thoughts. Yes. Yeah, but, but it's not usable. It's not usable. <laughs> okay. So, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah, but... You, you don't make any sense of it the way it is. But it is, it is a mess. <laughs> All right, so closing, he shall reign forevermore. We're starting with verse 2. It should already be set up there, um, Steve, that it's already on verse 2. If I were a wise man, should be the first line that's on. Yes. All right, so now. Um. So we'll have this while he's praying and doing the thing. This is in G. Messiah, and 
child is born, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He shall reign forevermore, forevermore. Good morning. My uh, family and I, too, were different. My siblings. Uh, we were similar in some ways, but of course, uh, quite different in many other ways. And I like those differences. Uh, it would be easier, perhaps, if everybody was the same. The world would be a lot more boring, though, wouldn't it? Uh, and uh, it is incredible that so many different people, all different walks of life, all different backgrounds and histories, Good things and bad things, all created by God and loved by God, saved. Saved, we believe in God. I, I tell you, I, I read a definition the other day that I just absolutely hate. I don't agree with it at all. Talking about God and various religions around the world and what God is. And they said, regardless of your religion, a God is a God is a deity that must be pleased. Read it on the computer, and I want to throw the computer across the room. It's not a deity that must be pleased. First of all, it's not a deity, it's the deity. Second of all, God's not somebody who has to be pleased. God is simply someone who must be accepted. Accepted. Jesus accepted into your life. Forgiveness and love and grace, peace and direction accepted into your life. If you think God is a deity that must be pleased, you and I need to talk because you got that all wrong. God is a deity. God is the deity. He is the sovereign Lord that simply must be accepted. Accepted. Because when we accept Christ, we accept His moral standard. But we also accept His life and His freedom and His love begins to change who we are and what we are. God is a deity that must be accepted. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew. i got a bunch of stuff to talk about, but I'm going to wait until the end because we might not get to it. And if we don't, we can talk about it next week. Turn to Matthew. Today we get the chance to look at the Magi's first Christmas, the wise men's first Christmas. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've seen a number of different perspectives. First Christmases, Joseph's first Christmas, Mary's first Christmas. And if you, you know anything about uh, those stories, the first Christmas for Joseph and the first Christmas for Mary wasn't particularly pleasant. There was a lot of uh, uh, unnerving news that they received. Furthermore, Jesus, of course, was not even... Uh, uh, born in a, a sterile and beautiful, wonderful hospital, but of course born in a barn because there was no room for them in the hotel. And uh, it wasn't a particularly pleasant event leading up to the moment, but there was a moment when Jesus was born. God becomes man, God in the flesh. And it was right about that time that we see the shepherds coming in, right? The shepherds were told, about the birth of Jesus Christ, and they came, they saw, they believed, and they spoke, they talked about it, spread the word. 
And today we look at the wise men, the magi. A little bit, uh, little bit different. They're, they're after the Christmas story. They're a part of our Christmas story, but they're a little bit after the Christmas story. Today is a little bit after Christmas Day. But it doesn't mean that the message of Christmas and the lessons we learn around Christmas time can be put to bed or put to rest. It doesn't mean that the lessons we learn can't be applied to our life. And some of these things need to be applied to our life daily, every day, day in, day out, season in, season out. And so today, today we get the chance to see their example. We see, get the chance to see Christmas from their perspective. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the birth of Christ. We thank you for the death of Christ. We thank you for the eternal life of Christ. We thank you that he ushers in eternal life for you and I. Thank you, Father, that it's because of Jesus that we have hope, that we have a secured future. One day we realize, we know that the mess that we have made of your creation will be righted once again, and will be righted because of Jesus. Because of that we worship, and because of that we thank you. It's because of that we get up tomorrow. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, from Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, this is where we'll be coming from. We start in the first verse of Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After Jesus was born, but still during the time of King Herod, that is Herod the Great. So we've got kind of a window here. We, we, we know that it's not, the Magi don't show up way after Jesus was born. But we do know that it's not the day or the night of Jesus' birth. It gives us a first glimpse. There's a little bit of time that has passed. A little bit, but not a whole lot. Herod is still king. That is Herod the Great. By the way, there's about 16 different Herods in Scripture. Okay? And I don't want you to get confused on all this. Sometimes we read through Scripture and we see Herod this and Herod that. The Herodian line is just enormous. And sometimes we get our timing mixed up a little bit. Well, this is Herod the Great. This is basically the first. Well, there wasn't anything great about Herod the Great, okay? But this was the first of the Herodian line. In fact, I've gone ahead and it, I can print up a hundred of these if you want. Uh, this is a description that I've put together of all the Herods in Scripture and where they are in Scripture and what it talks about in Scripture. And so it, it, this is actually a very valuable piece in your studying of the gospel because there's Herods all over the place. It keeps our timeline straight. And if you want one of these, I can go ahead and give them to you. I can print up a bunch of them. It, it's really, really quite valuable to know and keep our, keep our picture proper. Magi from the East. They came to Jerusalem looking for a king. They came to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. And of course, how many? We don't know. Could have been one. Could have been ten. Could have been a hundred. I don't know. You know how it goes. We, there's three gifts mentioned in Scripture, and so we typically say three magi, three wise men. I don't know how many. We do know that they traveled in massive caravans. I mean, they're traveling about 800, 900 miles to get to Bethlehem, and it's dangerous territory. 
You don't just hop in the car and drive down the interstate. And so they travel with a bunch of people. When they come into town, everybody knows it. When they're getting close to town, everybody knows it because it's this massive caravan for safety. The Magi were astrologers. The Magi were not astronomers. Astronomy is a legitimate science, studying the stars and all kinds of things in the heavens. Astrology is not. Now, astrology was the precursor to astronomy. But astrology is reading the stars. Reading the stars to determine what's going to happen on earth, or even seeing what happens on earth, whether or not it affects the stars. They were astrologers, in fact, magi. That's where you get the word magician, magician. They were wise men. They were certainly advisors, but they were astrologers, seers of the stars. Astrology is not legitimate. You can ask many different scientists about that. It doesn't affect anything on earth, and earth doesn't affect anything there. But it was pretty common in those days. Actually, it's fairly common even now. This star that they are following is a miracle by God. It's a miracle by God either through creation, that is a unique star in history. If you were here for Christmas Eve, we talked about the word aster. That's the the word used here, aster. It simply means something in the sky. That's really what it means. Something bright in the sky. And it certainly could have been a unique heavenly body created for this specific thing. Or it could have been unique timing. As stars align or planets align, God knowing that these things were going to happen. However, this star could also be the glory of God shown. Not a star at all. Simply looks like a star. That's aster, something bright in the sky. Could have been the glory of God shown. I tend to believe that that's what it was. I don't have any proof of that, but I think that's what it was. The point is, whether it's timing or unique creation or revelation by God, it was miraculous, and these astrologers were able to see it. These astrologers were able to follow it. Don't think for a second, then, that this validates astrology. It doesn't validate astrology. Astrology is nonsense. To use this to validate astrology is like validating the science of talking to storms to control them because Jesus did it once. Okay? This was a miraculous sign by God. The Magi showed up from the east. East of what? Well, east of Jerusalem. East of Palestine. They were most likely from Persia. And this kind of gives you an idea of where they're coming from. Probably modern day Iran. Now, could have been as far west as Iraq could have been as far east as Pakistan, but probably modern-day Iran. So what does this mean? And this really gets us to our first lesson. The wise men traveled a distance to see Jesus. They traveled a long way following this star to see the king. Anywhere between 800 and 1,000 miles. And if you're going to travel between 800 and 1,000 miles 2,000 years ago, this was a big deal. It was an undertaking. It took considerable time and effort and money and resources. And not only that, it took considerable risk. 
Define who? Define Jesus. Define the king. They're striking out on an incredible journey. They are acting upon, acting upon their study of the word. Yes, they knew some of these prophecies. They knew some of the histories of the Jewish people. They knew some of these Old Testament texts. And what were these wise men doing? Acting upon that study. Well, it's a big difference between wise men and foolish men. Wise men study. And then they move with it. Wise men study. They see, they read, they know, they ask questions, and then they begin to act upon their faith. The foolish, the foolish either don't study, or they don't act upon it. One of the two. We're going to see some foolish men here in just a little bit. Most likely, the Magi knew of the writings of the prophet Daniel. Sometimes it's hard for us to remember all this whole big picture. Daniel was in that area many, 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 many years ago. That's that's where Daniel grew up. That's where he was an advisor to the king. Daniel was in that Persian area. He was in that area of Iran. And so a lot of these people, many, many years later, would still know of the prophecies of Daniel. That's why the book of Daniel is in Aramaic. Everything else is in Hebrew and Greek. Daniel's in Aramaic, but that's where he spent his time. And so many, many years later, these magi are continuing to study these old prophecies. And what do we find? It pays off. The Bible's old. The New Testament's 2,000 years old. The Old Testament's thousands of years older than that. And yet, for these magi, even, even studying and applying those old texts ends up paying off and ends up revealing who Jesus is. The Bible is an important book. It's important to them and it's important to us. There's a prophecy even in Daniel. Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 includes a prophecy sort of of the timeline of the birth of Messiah. Know and understand, he writes, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. That's a whole other message. We can get into that later. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. This is something that Daniel prophesied about the coming Messiah. And these magi are studying, and they're knowing, and they're reading, and they're acting upon it. They might also be aware of the prophecy of Balaam. Balaam lived and grew up around that area as well. Numbers 24, 17, I love this. Balaam prophesying. Balaam wasn't a particularly good guy, but he's prophesying about Jesus, and he says this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. This is many, many years before Jesus. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of the Moab and the skulls of the people of Sheth. Balaam's prophecy specifically mentions a star coming out of Jacob. And what's the point? The point is this. They read, they studied, they believed, and they acted. That's what wise men do. That's what wise people do. And here they are, 2,000 laters, recorded in the Word of God. Because they read, they studied, they believed, and they acted upon that faith. Again, verse 2 of Matthew 2, they asked, 
Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. These were high officials. These were wealthy men. These were advisors to the crown. These were were statesmen of some esteem. And they show up and they say, we want to bow down and worship someone. Your station, by the way, let's just get this out of the way. Your station for our culture is not above the station of the wise men in their culture. And yet, what do they do? They travel a thousand miles so that they can bow down and worship. So they can bow down and worship a king. So they can bow down and they can worship Jesus. Start thinking sometimes that our pride prevents us from bowing down, whether it's even physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. They came to worship. They came to worship the Messiah. They came far and they brought gifts. That is, they brought sacrifices. They sought. They asked questions. This is what they're asking. They get to the area and they ask people around. I want to know who Jesus is. I want to know who this king is. And so they ask questions. We'll go our entire lives sometimes and never ask questions. We'll go our entire lives and never ask questions about the depth of Scripture. About the, the, the life-changing commitment. The life-changing acceptance of who Jesus is. These men weren't even Jews. And they come into town, first thing they do is ask about Jesus. Show us, tell us, help us learn, help us see. We need to ask questions. I'll tell you, I ask questions all the time. I ask questions, every time I prepare a message, I ask a question. I ask questions either from, from authors or from people who've come before, or I'm on the phone, or I'm doing emails, or whatever it is. I don't understand this. Help me, help me. Help me figure this out. And the more we ask, the more we ask, the closer we grow, and the closer we grow to Jesus, the more we know, the more we understand, and the more our faith builds. And here's wise men, the first thing they do in town, tell us more. Tell us more. Where does this question bring them? It brings them into the presence of Christ. And not only that, they humbled themselves to worship. They humbled themselves to worship. They didn't have to. They didn't have to humble themselves to worship Jesus. Again, they weren't even Jewish people. And I think that's what troubles me the most. Look at 3 through 6. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he'd called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. We have two types of people here. Forget about the Magi for a moment. Three through six talks about two different types of people. The first person that comes in contact with the Magi, the first person that comes in contact with this message about Jesus is the king, Herod the Great. We have one who heard it and hated it. Heard the message and hated it. He was disturbed 
by the message of Jesus Christ. He was afraid of something when he heard the message of Jesus. We get that a lot. You'll see that a lot. You'll hear that a lot. People hearing the message of Christ. And because they hate it so much, they don't hear the full message. They may hear a moral standard, but they do not hear freedom. They do not hear love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, you name it. They do not hear forgiveness. Herod heard the message about Jesus and hated it. And why was he afraid? Because there was another king on the block. He was afraid because he might lose his prideful grip on his place, on his position, on his title, his power, his influence. He was afraid because he might need to become less and Jesus become more. And isn't this the hate that fuels so many who would reject Jesus? We've talked about this many times, church. There's one throne in your life. One. And if you're sitting on it, Jesus isn't. King Herod was sitting on his throne. And I'll be doggone if somebody else is going to come in here and take my throne, says King Herod. Herod the Great, who died really badly, by the way. It's too graphic to go into right now. But you can look that up yourself. He was not the one eaten by worms. Actually, that's less graphic than... Herod the Great. That one that was eaten by worms, that's clear an axe. That's a different Herod. But he was afraid. We have only one throne, only one being can sit upon that throne in our minds and our hearts. Only one being can influence our thoughts and our actions. Only one being can give us the peace that we have. And if it's us trying to do it, it's not Jesus. See, too often people act like Herod. They think like Herod, and because of that, they are terrified like Herod. I look around the world, and I see a bunch of terrified people. Scared to death. And I want to tell you something. You know what terrified looks like? You want to know what scared looks like? Scared looks like this. Strutting around. Yelling at this. Screaming at that. Violence here and violence there. That's terrified. That's scared to death. You want to know what love is? You want to know what confidence is? That's the servant. That's the servant. The one who knows who they are. The one who knows who they serve. The one who loves people around them, not because of who they are, but because of who they serve. That's the one. That's what Herod would have done. You want to know what strength is? You want to know what confidence is? You want to know the difference between the two? Herod's terrified, scared to death. Look what Jesus says, or look what the guy says, this prophet says, and Jesus refers to him as the greatest man ever born. John chapter 3 says this, they came to John, that's John the Baptist, his students came to John the Baptist, and they said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing, and everybody's going over there to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify. Look, I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. 
The one who comes from above is above all. The one who's from the earth belongs to the earth, speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Those were the words of John the Baptist. He must become greater. I must become less. And this is the guy Jesus looks at. He hears from, he turns around the crowd, he says, this is the greatest man ever born. You don't hear that about Herod. You don't hear that about the guy pounding his chest and strutting around, do you? Because he's terrified. He heard the gospel message and he absolutely hates it. That's the first person we see. Second person we see, and I think, honestly, I think this deserves it even more than Herod does. The priests, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, everybody that Herod brings in to ask them about these prophecies, this is the second type of person we see, and that is the ones who heard, the ones who knew, and didn't care. And didn't care. My goodness, the wise men just traveled a thousand miles. You're in town and you've heard this. And you're not looking. You knew. And you're not the first person on the scene when Jesus is born. You ought to be hanging out in Bethlehem. I'd have been hanging out in Bethlehem six months ago. Just hanging out. Just waiting. Because you had the information at your fingertips. They either didn't care at the very least. They were not seeking like the wise men like those who were not even Jews. And again, I think this bothers me the most, because if you hate it, at least you know where you stand. If you hate it, at least others know where you stand. If you hate it, at least you're not doing any more damage to the testimony of the Word. What does Jesus say in Revelation? I want you hot or cold. I don't want you somewhere in the middle. The middle does tremendous damage to you. It does tremendous damage to those around you. I tell you, I have always asked, and, and, and I'm, I'm, as I'm standing here, I give you my word, I've asked this from when I was a little kid. From a little kid, I've asked, how can these people know these things and not look like the wise men? Every time I heard this, it, it confused me. How can they have the word of God at their fingertips and not be seeking how can they have the Word of God at their fingertips and not looking, traveling, moving, acting upon this faith? No wonder this kind of stuff makes Jesus angry. Even children see it. And they say that doesn't add up. The only answer I can come up with is this. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were not wise men. And if you're not a wise man, you're a foolish man. Person. Wise woman, foolish woman, wise man, foolish man. You see, they could have been there. These chief priests and all of these scribes, all these people that knew this, they could have been there. They could have been a part of this story. Good part of this story. It's the same thing you can do. You can be a part of the story. I wonder how many times we have the opportunity to be a part of the story and we miss it. How many opportunities we have to be a part of the story of heralding Jesus into the life of someone else and we miss it. We could be a part of an incredible story. So those are the two types of people we see there. Matthew 2, 7 and 8 says this, When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go 
and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He wanted the timing. He wanted the timing. He wanted to know how old this child might be. See, that's, that's, that's this, this star, this celestial body that was there for a long time. And so he wanted to know. That's what makes me think it's the glory of God revealed specifically to some people. He wanted to know where it was, how long it's been. He was already planning to do something horrendous. He wanted to kill Jesus. He wanted to do away with Jesus. If I could just do away with Jesus, then I can keep this temporary grip on my pride and my place and my station. Eventually, he gets thwarted by that, so he does something even worse. He kills all the children in Bethlehem. I don't even, I don't even think about that. I don't know if I've ever taught a lesson on that. I probably never will. I, I don't dwell on that one. What a tragic figure, though, Herod is. Not only does he destroy himself, but he's also destroying those around him because of his pride, because of his fear. Boy, such a stark difference, isn't there, between the self-centered and the wise? Such a stark difference between the fearful and the knowledgeable. Such a big difference between the prideful and the humble. And the humble get to worship at the feet of Jesus. Verse 9, after they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Once again, are we talking about a star possibly with God? Again, I doubt it. It moves from the east to the west, and that's okay, but then it moves south, and stars don't typically do that. It stops over a noticeable place, a visual display of the glory of God. And again, you've seen this before if you read through the Exodus story. The point is they were overjoyed when they saw it again, leading them to the Christ child, 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were overjoyed at the prospect of seeing the king. That's what wise men do. Because of what they've read, because of what they've studied, They were overjoyed at the mere possibility that he might be in that house. And when they found Jesus, when they saw Jesus, when they saw the king, what did they do? They gave gifts. That is, they sacrificed. Now, all of these were very valuable gifts. The gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. But what about your valuable gift? What's your valuable gift? Church, your most valuable gift is you. The wise men gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but their valuable gift was not the tangible things. Their valuable gift was the fact they read and studied the Word, act upon the Word, and traveled a thousand miles to see the living Word. That was their gift. That was their gift to us. Yeah, they gave these other things, and there's nothing wrong with that as well. But there's a real valuable gift that you and I can give. They understood. They recognized the worth of Christ. I hope you recognize the worth of Christ. The faith of these wise men lasts forever. By the way, do you know where they keep, incidentally? Do you know where the church actually keeps the the actual gold, frankincense, and myrrh that was given to Jesus? Anybody know that? Neither do I. It's gone. It's gone. What lasts? The faith that these wise men showed. 
That lasts. The faith that you show, the study that you have, the desire you have to seek Jesus Christ and to sacrifice, to give your life as a living sacrifice, says Paul. The word of God is eternal, and the wise men are a part of it. Now they have a decision to make. After seizing, seeing Jesus, they could either follow God or they could follow man. They didn't go back and tell Herod. Remember, Herod wanted them to come back and tell, them about, tell him about Jesus. Verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. By the way, what, what doesn't go into Scripture, again, you've got to use your imagination. That's really dangerous. That's incredibly dangerous. First of all, Herod's unhinged. Okay, he's nuts. Now, they defy the king's order in order to honor God. I mean, this wasn't just moseying out of town. This was one wise man saying to the other wise man, buddy, we better get out of town now. They're on our heels. And so they ran so they could honor God. And why did they have to honor God over honoring man? Because they saw Jesus. Because they saw Jesus. So the Magi were this. They were men who read and believed God's word. Read and believed. And just breezed through it. They didn't get, just get the gist of it. No, they read it, they studied it. And they believed the word of God. They sought Jesus. They were people who sought Jesus. They asked questions. They wanted to know more. They wanted to learn who He was. They wanted to learn how He was. And certainly why He was. What else about these men? They recognized the worth of Christ as they bowed down. They worshipped Him. And they made sacrifices to Him. They humbled themselves to worship Jesus. They obeyed God. When the order of man disagreed with the order of God. That's what it takes. I mean, that's really what it is in a nutshell. You can take this with you, you take it home with you. That's what it takes to be the wise person. Seek Jesus to know him. To do what it takes in your life to accept who he is, what he is, even why he exists and why he died. And to make your lives a living sacrifice. It's not easy, church. There are days when you don't feel very excited about it because we do slog through the rest of this life and the rest of this world. Good part is that we slog through the rest of this life and the rest of this world as free and forgiven men and women. Well, something beautiful and wonderful to behold at the end of it. And all the while, as we're looking, as we're searching, as we're living, we're able to lead others to this same Christ child. We talked on uh, Christmas Eve about how you have the opportunity to actually be that star. It leads other people to know who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love of Christ. We thank you for wise people in this world who give their lives to searching, seeking, knowing who you are, traveling, whatever distance that is in life, 
to be at the feet of Jesus, to worship Him, that others might learn, that others might look at their life, just as we have done today, look at their life and might learn and grow. Father, help us to be wise. Help us to be those who seek Jesus. Against all odds, seek Jesus. It's in His name. Amen. Why don't you stand and sing? If I were a wise man, I would travel far. If I were a shepherd, I would do my part. But poor as I am, I will give to him my heart. And he shall reign forevermore, forevermore. He shall reign forevermore, forevermore. Unto us a child is born, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He shall reign Messiah, into our hopes, into our fears, the Savior of the world appears, the promise of eternal years, Christ the Messiah. Jim and Jana Mitchell, uh, if you've ever been over to Horton Elevator, you've been by their house, you're close to it, right? Um, not Horton, though, anymore. Is it Horton now? Is it? Okay, there's still a Horton sign there. Actually, if the lights are on, you can probably see it from here if you look out the window. Uh, Jim and Jana have been worshiping us for uh, quite some time, and they want to make it official. They, they said, look, we want this to be our home. Uh, they've been baptized into Christ. They believe in Jesus. We're going to be with Jim and Jana for the rest of eternity anyway. Uh, but they want to uh, make an official worship here. Why do we do that? Why is that a thing? Why do we got to make that, you know, official like that? Well, there's a couple of reasons, but the big reason is this. You have a responsibility as the church and as eldership and teachers have responsibility to care for this family, and this family has a responsibility now to care for you. You know, there's, there's people, there's a church all over the world, 
It'd be nice if we got to interact with all of them, but you can only interact with a few. And so we kind of make this official, so they want to be a part of this body as well. And what I would like you to do, I do have some certificates for both of you. You have to keep these, because if you lose these, and you're no longer a part of the church anywhere in the world, and I don't even know what happens. What's that? Give me a tip. All right, all right. Uh, no, but what we do is just, we just have this profession of Christ uh, in front of your brothers and sisters so that they can see you and you can see them. And so I'm going to ask you to repeat what, what Peter says about Jesus. Jesus asked Peter, who, who do you say that I am? And a lot of these disciples, they said, well, some say you're this and some say you're that. And Jesus says, no, no, no. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so if you believe that, I'm just going to ask you to repeat that after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is my Savior, and He is my Lord. All right. Let's pray over this family right here. Father, we thank you so much for Jim and Jana. We thank you for their friendship. We thank you for their fellowship. And we thank you, Father, for everybody in this room who shares in that brotherhood, that sisterhood. Uh, we thank you that this family is a part of that. So, Father, we ask that you will bless their family, uh, that you'll use us to bless their family, but also that they will bless us, that they'll, they'll support us uh, as we go forward, as we walk through this life, as we search, just as the Magi do, to know Jesus more and more and more. We, say, we thank you so much that today, today, this part of your family becomes even greater, and we thank you that it's in the form of Jim and Jana. We thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, congratulations. You guys are all dismissed. You can say hi to Jim and Jana before you guys go home. See you guys. Hey. What are you doing?